Welcome to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP, helping you to operate profitably and adapt continuously. Host and moderator Bonnie D. Graham talks with the experts about how game-changing technologies can help you achieve financial excellence for your company. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the game changers, oh, come on. You know this is where the best run and you're in the right place. If you're keeping track, as I have to, this is season nine of Financial Excellence with Game Changers, our longest running series under the Game Changers umbrella. Let's see what the buzz on the street is today. I have a quote from a website called Centage, C-E-N-T-A-G-E.com. Listen up. Gaining a greater understanding of your profitability keyword here, requires more analysis than a financial statement and a balance sheet. That may be a shock to a lot of you. By doing a profitability analysis, companies can identify areas in need of attention. Just let that sink in for a second. So that's what we're talking about today. Profitability analysis, a lot of syllables. It is among the key benchmark criteria for all profit-making organizations, assuming most of our audience falls into that category, providing a true bottom line marker of organizational success. How are you doing? Let me check the bottom line. So what role should profitability analysis play in times of uncertainty? Hey, we're entering something like month eight of a global pandemic. What role should it play in times of uncertainty like we're in right now when markets are disrupted? We're all very aware of that. Supply chains are broken in many cases. Costs are spiraling, uh uh-oh, and revenue streams are in, we'll politely say, disarray. One argument is that there's no better time or more desperate need for highly detailed costing and profitability analysis to help organizations wrestle control of costs, identify business value, you got to do that, simulate and assess alternative courses, and focus on the most profitable parts of your business. So the question is, are more tailored, even more tailored profitability analysis and measures needed right now? Well, I have a panel of three experts, and they're going to help us answer this very, very timely question. We're going to be speaking in a few minutes to Gary Kokins at Analytics-Based Performance Management. By the way, I have the pleasure of being on Zoom, and I can see my three panelists, and most of them are smiling. I know they're happy to be here. Michelle, you can smile now. We have Svining Larson at EY. Welcome, Svining. You've been on with me before. Thank All you. of you have. And Michelle Hasendonks at SAP, and they're going to share their insights on our very important topic today, profitability oh, profitability analysis. Challenging times call for flexible measures. We'll leave it there. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Shout out to Chris Grundy and Birgit Starmans at SAP, sponsors of this wonderful long-running series. And let's get started. Let's go around the table. I'm going to ask my three panelists each to introduce yourself briefly and tell me not only what you do, what your background is, Gary, just in case couple of people don't remember who you were from the last time you were on in 2014, I think. Uh, talk a little bit about what you do, what your company does, and then also in that three minutes, Gary, squeeze in what is your passion for our topic today. Gary, welcome back. Well, my name is Gary Kokins. I, I'm 71, but I feel like I'm 41. I'm partly retired after a 40-year successful career with Deloitte, KPMG, uh, EDS, and then with 16 years with SaaS, the large analytics software vendor. Um, what I enjoy doing now is actually training uh CPA firms and other consulting firms, as well as clients, how to implement enterprise and corporate performance management methods 
Uh, it's not a process or system. It's the integration of multiple methods, which we'll talk about today, including strategy map, balance scorecard with KPIs, uh, product service line channel, customer profitability, uh, the move from the annual budget to driver-based rolling financial forecast, which we will talk about because that's one of the needs post-COVID board of directors want to know net cash flow and it really needs to be done properly. Uh, and there's a way to do it with driver-based rather than consolidating a lot of spreadsheets up and down. A little more of my background, raised in Chicago, go Cubs, go Bears, although all the sports seasons are, are over. My undergraduate was in Cornell University, Industrial Engineering and Operations Research. I did my MBA at Northwestern University's Kellogg. And I, but I was a division controller at the age 27, so I like to say I'm an engineer masquerading as an accountant. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Gary. Uh, no lack of enthusiasm there. We're very happy to have you on. And it has been about six years since you've been on radio with me. I looked it up and I'm very happy to have you. Glad you're still out there kicking and rolling. I don't think I've ever heard a guest on this show recite so quickly so many technical terms involved in f the practice of financial excellence. So we're very, very happy to have you here, Gary. Thank you very much. And uh, let's go to our second guest. And we've got Svining Larson. And Svining, why don't you introduce yourself? And same thing, in case there's maybe three people in the world who don't remember who you are. Tell us what you do, what your role is at EY, and what's your passion for this topic. Svining, welcome. Thank you very much, Bonnie. So, Svanung Larsen, uh, I'm leading a team in ENY, which is called uh, Platform Solutions and Intelligence. We're very much focused on enterprise performance management and all dimensions that sits within that. Um, I've been working in the enterprise performance management space now for the very wrong side of 15 years. Um, so, not as much as you, Gary. But I am uh, actually 41, so I don't know what to say on, on what I feel. Maybe I feel like someone somewhere in the 20s. Um, my passion for this topic is especially the integration between operating models and some of the discussions that Gary just uh, threw out there when it comes to KPIs and making sure that you know how you're managing and how you're measuring profitability is connected to the actual operating model of the company and how that flexibility of driving an anal analysis-based approach can change the operating model and the operating model can actually change the profitability views. Um, I'm also quite intrigued in the discussion of operating models uh, and profitability, not only from a managerial perspective, but from a value realization perspective. And frequently, what I tend to see is that, you know, a lot of multinationals are looking at profitability um, from a managerial perspective, but really, isn't this supposed to drive uh, earnings per share and shareholder value? So where are we actually dealing with the tax aspects and net-net aspects of a profitability analysis? So more of that to come um, in my discussions. Thank you very much, Svining. Pleasure to have you back and welcome. And also really great background. I told you this is where the best run. And we're not disappointing here today. And I'm going to add my third panelist to the mix now, Michelle Hasendongs. Welcome back. You've been on with me before as well. Please share with us your background. Refresh us on all the good work you do and a little bit about your overview on our topic today. Michelle, welcome. Bienvenue. All right. Thank you. And uh Thanks for having me. Uh, like I'm not going to reply in French, which I could, because I'm uh, Belgian-based. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm Dutch speaking, but uh, but I do speak a, a good mouthful of French, and and hopefully my English will be good enough as well for today. So Michel from from SAP, 
Um, I guess, well, that, that company uh, is also relatively well known. Let's see, it's uh, business applications. That's uh, what we do. Um, and that's actually the link I want to make between, uh, let's say, the the topic of today and uh, and my passion. Like I've, I've started out actually as a finance um, person, uh, as an external auditor, a controller, and later on as a CFO in the uh, in the port logistics uh, in my home country, actually in the port of Antwerp, um, that was all very nice. But what I really love is uh, is actually the link to technology and how technology can really put a lot of these uh, very nice um, approaches and best practices to uh, in practice, actually. Um, and that's what I've been uh, concentrating on uh, at, at SAP. Uh, since, since quite a few years, uh, like as everybody's revealing his age, uh, no problem from my side. <laughs> Bonnie, you're next. <laughs> and uh, that's, uh, for, that's 47, uh, just that you know. And I feel uh, I feel 18 as, as always, uh, so no problem there. Uh, in, in actually, uh, in order to make myself feel younger than, than, than ever and to free my mind every now and then, because uh, like this is of course one passion. I do have another one. As a good Belgian guy, I try to be a Flandrien, as they call it, uh, by taking out my race bike uh, to the highest possible mountains. And due to COVID, actually, um, the Stelvio climb last week didn't take place in the north of Italy. It's a pity, but okay, no problem. We adapt our plans. And I think that's also very important uh, for organizations to do in today's reality. Uh, just adapt as quickly and as flexibly as, 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 we, uh, as we possibly can to maximize, let's say, the value they bring, um, let's say, to the organization, the profit they make. Um, and let's see how technology can help us there. That's uh, that's what I'm in here for. So Thank back you very over much. To I'm the young one on the panel, so we don't we don't ask a young lady her age. We'll just leave no, that. No, that alone. would be impolite. You. I, I there agree. you go. There you go. Chivalry. Blank. 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 Thank you very much, gentlemen. Thank you so much for introducing yourselves, Gary. We've never had a panel to talk about their chronological age before. So, Gary, congratulations. This was the first. Uh, let's go to the part of the show. You know, we used to have something on Game Changers where I would ask my guests, and some of you may remember what's in your cup today or what's your favorite drink and I think we just got your hobbies and what you love to do and I, I appreciate that thank you very much Gary Kokens, you're up next it's time for the quote of the day from each of you never said it quite that way before Gary has sent us a quote from Mark Twain if there's anybody any youngsters in our global audience who for some reason never heard of Mark Twain I'm going to tell you briefly Mark Twain his full name originally was Samuel Langhorn Clemens 1835 to 1910. His pen name, Nom de Plume, there you go, Michel, this French just keeps popping up. Nom de Plume was Mark Twain, American writer, humorist, entrepreneur, publisher, and lecturer. He was considered the greatest humorist the United States has ever produced. And that was, he died in 1910. So think about that. He's been called the father of American literature by William Faulkner, who should know. And here's the deal. He wrote The Adventures of Tom Sawyer back in 1876, The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn in 1884, which was the sequel. And the latter is often called the great American novel. When somebody asks you to write a, a sentence or a short paragraph and you write more than that, they say, what are you doing writing the great American novel that comes from Mark Twain here's the quote Gary has selected and Gary briefly tell us after I read the quote please what it has to do with our topic so the quote is wisdom is the reward you get for a lifetime of listening 
when you would rather have talked? Ooh, that's a good one. Gary, apply it to our topic, please. Well, I'll start personally. When I was younger, I think I was a little cocky. You know, I had all these uh, nice degrees and I would kind of like show off. And then what I discovered is you really need to turn the tables and be a good listener. But to be maybe a little more serious, I believe today the best leaders are in the past, the best leaders and best executives had the best answers. Today, I don't think that's the case. Today, I think the best leaders and best executives have the best questions. There is too much complexity. There's too much volatility. There's too much uncertainty for them to rely on their gut feel or intuition or so-called success or the types of answers they gave earlier or had earlier got them promoted to the top. They need to create a culture for discovery and investigation, and that comes through listening and asking questions. Gary, that was very profound. If I was still tweeting 20 times during a live show, which I don't do because I'm managing too much on Zoom here, I would have put that out as a wonderful quote. The best leaders ask the best and the right questions. Very, everybody is nodding. Really, really good observation. Gary, thank you. Svining Larson has sent us a quote from Walt Disney, but not the one we usually see. I'm sure there's nobody in the world who doesn't know Walt Disney, but just in case, Walter Elias Disney, 1901 to 1966, also an American entrepreneur. He was an animator, voice actor, and film producer, pioneer in the animation industry, introduced developments in the production of cartoons. Walt Disney holds the record for the most Academy Awards earned by any individual 22 Oscar wins out of 59 nominations and several of his films are in the National Film Registry by the Library of Congress and yes he created Mickey Mouse and he voiced Mickey Mouse in the early days that's the brief overview here's the quote Svining has selected times and conditions change so rapidly that we must keep our aim constantly focused on the future wonderful Svining tell me more please thanks uh, Bonnie yeah, I kind of looked at this quote uh, and I'm thinking about the current situation that we're in, right? We have COVID, as you mentioned initially, we see operating models change, we see supply chains break open, but we also see that a lot of businesses are transpiring into new domains. So traditional uh, tech manufacturers are suddenly starting to sell digital recipes on how to manufacture certain of those parts, let's say using a 3D printer. And my point around that is we need to keep up with the past. We need to actually assess where is this whole thing heading and are we profitable? Is this something that allows us to care and nurture for the shareholders that we actually need to please to make sure that we're selecting the different path that is most profitable for our shareholders and owners? Thank you very much. Very interesting quote. Thank you. Uh, I appreciate that. Oh, let's go to Michelle Hasendunks, and your quote is from John Howard. And Michelle, you're one of the few people who keeps sending me the same quote, no matter how many shows you're <laughs> on with me. He said, Bonnie, this is a quote I used about a year ago. Well, it's okay, because it's a really good one. Uh, it's from John Howard, who is still very much alive and well, as opposed to the other quote sources. He was born in 1947, Gary. So he's a, a compatriot of ours, I should say. He's, I just admitted a little bit there. You didn't hear that. He's an Olympic cyclist from the U.S. who set a land speed record of 152.2 miles per hour. For those of you in Europe, that's 240. Five kilometers per hour while motor pacing on a pedal bike in 1985 on Utah's Bonneville Salt Flats. The record was beaten 
1995 by someone else. The quote is from his book, The Cyclist Companion by John Howard with Albert C. Gross and Christian Paul from 1987. Here's the quote. The bicycle is a curious vehicle whose passenger is also its engine. Michelle, please share with us what's the <laughs> applicability of the quote today on this topic. Go well, ahead. I'm, I'm actually, I'm not sure when, when I sent you over the quote uh, for, for today again, because indeed I used it, uh, let's say, a previous time as well. Um, I, I, just, I just love it because it's basically connecting to my, my two um, uh, favorite topics, and that's basically what I do for a living, trying to link technology to business needs. Um, and there, basically, technology is the engine, um, and the business user is actually the, the passenger. And typically, you say, well, you have this typical standard relationship between the two. Um, and of course, on the other hand side, as I mentioned, I try to be a cyclist a little bit. Uh, and that's, well, this is uh, like from also from my private perspective, it's it's my favorite topic. Now for today, of course, like it's um it's it's more a generic link that I that I'd make. But what I what I always think when I read um, or what I actually first thought of when I uh, read this um, uh, quote for the for the very first time was actually well that you need to look at things from a different perspective um, sometimes. And again, that's something which we can very well apply to many things, but especially to how you look at analyzing uh, the value that your company is producing, especially in these crazy times of today. We need to look for newer ways of working. Uh, we need to look at new ways of thinking rather than providing the answers, as Gary was saying, like say asking the right questions, like look at everything from all kinds of different pos possible perspectives. And that's basically what I immediately fell behind this quote. Thank you very much. Very well put. I appreciate all three of you doing the research and taking the time to pick very interesting quotes from very interesting people. So thank you very much. Guilt by association, that makes you all even more interesting people because of the quotes you selected. There you go. Okay, so now it's the time of the show when we're going to look at the discussion statements my guests have sent me in advance. And Gary, since you already used what you said in quote in statement number one, the best leaders and executive have the best questions, I'm going to go to your statement number two. Gary, I'm going to read just a little bit of it, and then I'm going to ask you to expand it for about two and a half minutes, and then what I call the magic sauce will go around the table. I'll ask Spining Larson to please agree or disagree with what Gary said, and and then we will ask Michelle Hasendogs as well and see what they have to say about your statement. So here's what Gary told me. He asked the question, what is needed to improve an organization? Oh, I'm sorry. It's a statement. What is needed to improve an organization's performance is more competence by managers with behavioral change management. Many managers are Newtonians, like the physicist Isaac Newton. They apply a quantitative approach of mechanical thinking with an NBA run it by the number style of managing. I'm going to stop there and ask Gary to finish the explanation. Gary Kokins, you're up. Talk to me, please. I think we all underestimate the, the size of resistance to change. And uh, when you want to implement new methods, like we'll probably talk about today, you know, cost accounting systems that do measure profitability analysis, not just the product and service line, but below the gross profit margin line, including channel and customer, you know, so you can answer the types of questions, what types of questions are more, customers are more attractive to retain, to grow, to win back, to acquire, which types are not, just as an example, 
But when you try to implement these methods or the balanced scorecard strategy met with KPIs, oftentimes there is resistance to change. And, you know, people like the status quo. Also, there's fear, people have fear of being measured, fear of being held accountable, um, fear of others knowing the truth, um, weak leadership. There, I said it, <clears throat> I put it out. None of those have anything to do with technology. And the problem is, as, I, as you mentioned in my quote, you know, many managers probably listening to this are the Newtonians. The world's a big machine. Give me the levers, pulleys, dials. You need to be somewhat Darwinian, you know, sense and respond. And <clears throat> you need some capabilities of behavioral change management. But if, I've, if I could see everybody listening to this and say, raise your hand, how many have degrees in sociology or psychology? Probably none, you know? So we really need to basically learn a little bit about change management. How do you get buy-in so you can overcome resistance for managers? So you can move to the more, if you will, progressive EPM, enterprise performance management methods, including things like activity-based costing, measurements, driver-based budgeting, as I mentioned. So uh, we underestimate the importance of the skill of having change management. Thank you, Gary. Let's go to Svining. Join us. Agree or disagree with Mr. Kokins? What do you think? Uh, um, with Mr. Kokins, I very much agree, uh, to be honest. And, and what he's saying is, is like music to my ears. And and I think we're also under, underestimating the complexities that sits in designing a measurement system to actually measure not only the profitability, but the performance, the general performance of complex multinational organizations. And, and what I'm saying there is there is a lot of constraints. There is a lot of constraints that is not taken into account when you are designing a scorecard at a strategic level. And those constraints becomes inevitable and, and very visible when you look at the operational implementation of these uh, scorecards. Let me take an example. So if you're part of a multinational company, and let's say you're headquartered in the US, but you have a distribution business that might sit in Asia Pac, let's say it sits in Singapore as an example. And the distribution business sole purpose is to optimize its uh, margins and its profitability. But when you start to look at it, they can't really impact all of the different um, different items on their PL because the cogs are being dictated. Uh, the operating expenses is being strapped or also dictated or controlled with someone else. And the real thing you can probably uh, drive is the sales revenue based on your market size. But still, from a scorecard perspective, you're treated like a profit center, but in actuality, you're a revenue center, which gives, again, a very wrong perception when you're reporting these figures up. Also, as this is being connected to the general uh, human performance management and tied into incentive programs, it becomes very unlucrative for the general management that is managing that business because you're held accountable for things that you cannot control. And that's an unfortunate situation. And I see that way, way, way too many times. Thank you. Very interesting. Michelle, please join us. Agree or disagree? Yeah. I know you would like me to disagree because that would basically put some fireworks <laughs> in this conversation. But, you know, it's, it's, um, that's hard to do, actually, in this case. Um, I, 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 I can only second what, uh, what was already said uh, by, let's say, our two other panelists. 
Um, and let's see, maybe maybe just as a side remark to it, although like it's kind of boiling down to the same same idea, is that yeah, what what what, I, what we also see this in many conversations which we have with companies around the world is that everybody's focusing more and more on data-driven decision making, right? So if I if I go for something, uh, it needs to be let's say supported by the data and la 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 and everything you like. So basically, there's this huge focus of data, and that's that's a good thing. It can enrich our insights, but of course, that's only step number one. Actually, where it boils to is what I do with all of that information, how I turn it into value, valuable information for my company, how I turn it into action. Um, because otherwise, it doesn't make any sense to have all of the data. So let's say it's great to have this concentration on more and more uh, data, but it should be more qualitative data rather than quantitative uh, data and basically putting it to, to action. And linked to that, basically, that brings me back to what Svending was was just saying, well, yeah, uh, of course, somebody can only act in the, within the borders of his or her, let's say, territory and and, and possibilities. What what this person is having control on, and that should be taken into consideration. I let's say there, let's say, linked to to change management. I think the whole organizational setup and how you look at things uh, from that perspective is, is is really crucial. And indeed, it's got little to do. Yeah, well, maybe the data gathering has got something to do with technology. But let's say a lot of this is uh, really human uh, stuff. Um, so hence, let's say the the like I um, actually I, I fully agree with what was just said. Thank you. Very interesting. Don't worry about the fireworks. We just want a really good, fluid, intelligent conversation <laughs> with passion. Yeah, yeah. We're looking for passion, but I appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, just for the listeners' information, I always tell my guests, don't be afraid to disagree, but keep it to a business tone of voice. Of we don't want to do this. Uh, Jerry, Jerry Springer, who used to have people throw chairs on his TV show. No, but we do want to have a lively conversation. That's what we're looking for. So thank you very much for that. Gary, any quick comments back to Svining? No, he's good. Okay, I'm moving on. Uh, Svining Larson, I'm looking at your statement number two. This looks interesting to me. Let me read a little bit and then we'll we'll have you expand it and we'll see if the other two agree or disagree with that. I have a feeling we're going to have a lot of agreement here today and that's okay. Uh, Svining told me before the show, he says, a common challenge with performance management frameworks is one dimensionality. I'm just going to stop right there and let you expand it. So go ahead, Svining. Yeah, I know what I'm saying is one dimensionality. And, and what I mean by that is it doesn't measure all of the, let's say, dimensions that you would like to do across products, uh, across sales channels, across segments, and combining that with cross gross profits, contribution margins, EBITs, but also net net or after certain tax types. And, and what I mean with that is, having that one dimensionality being focused on, for example, a certain contribution margin for managerial purposes, you're not capable of changing rapidly towards uh, changing environments, change in sales, or also understanding uh, necessarily what is the best products and or services to distribute in a market because you don't have enough insight into what is the impact of distributing exactly that you know product and or service and and let me use an example of it so to the extent that you have again a distribution business again a company might be based in, in norway for all i care and it's distributing a certain product and again 
we have a, a sales manager being targeted for sales, right? And depending on the level of definition of what sales is, that person might give a lot of rebates and discount to it just to get the sales um, concluded. But the sales might also be of the products that the sales manager finds easiest to sell in the market, irrespectively of what the margin of that product actually is, but also whether that margin, for example, have emissions and a carbon footprint that you know makes it even less profitable after emission taxes, which is again impacting the shareholder value. And in that regard, uh, what I sense sometimes with these one-dimensional um, profitability analysis and frameworks is that the shareholder value is rather uh, put aside and not focused on. We are measuring for the purpose of measuring, but not for the purpose of preserving shareholder value and earnings per share for the people owning the company. Interesting. Thank you very much. I like where we're going with this. I see nodding around the table. I think I know what's going to happen next. Gary is waving his head furiously side to side because he wants me to think he's disagreeing. I know you better. Michelle, please join us. Thoughts on what's finding just shared. Go ahead, Michelle. Yeah, well, um, I'm, I'm afraid again, uh, let's say I, I like the, the whole thinking of, uh, of Svining and basically the, the statement he put, put, uh, put down uh, on the one dimensionality. I'd like to add, let's see, although it was already in, but maybe emphasize uh, something here. Uh, let's see, well, if, if I stick to one single dimensionality reporting, I just like, have my, like everybody can produce a PNL, right? And that's, that's not that's not really the issue. The issue is that like I can that I can produce a PNL with which I can do something, on which I can actually act. And as we all know, finance indicators like margin or whatever or certain costs are only lagging indicators, uh, as some theoretical people tend to call it. Um, but but basically, that means that there's the operational stuff which is behind, which I really uh, need to need to tackle. Because if basically sales in a particular region uh, through a particular channel is going well or, or not well, basically I need to act on the combination of all of those elements. But I don't, let's say, financially act. Actually, I operationally act. I, I start, let's say, reorganizing myself. Uh, let's say the recent, like in the recent months, like everybody's been popping up uh, online stores or like restaurants have been uh, putting out, uh, let's say, delivery services. Of course, you can think, uh, you should think about, let's say, whether this makes sense. Uh, and of course, there, let's say, finance needs to be the guardian, let's say, behind the behind the, 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 the door, uh, just uh, checking that whatever new great uh, ideas which people try to put in place actually are still let's say uh, financially viable um, and actually then delivering again the, the right value so that's just a couple of um, side remarks I wanted to to make but like yeah multi-dimensionality of course it is it is crucial and it go, goes way further than just a multi-dimensional financial report even um, as, as sometimes people also let's say restrict, restrictively think so that's um, that's it from my side for now Thank you, Gary Kokins. Love to hear your POV. What do you think? Where were you on this? Let's have some fireworks. <laughs> Great. Yeah. 
The reason I'm basically going to disagree is because I t- interpreted some finding that he was referring to what I would call external financial reporting, P&L, EBITDA, shareholder value, all of that stuff. Um, but there's a big difference between external financial reporting for statutory and government reporting compliance with regulators and the investment community and internal management accounting. And when you do yes. internal management accounting, you don't necessarily have to follow those rules like generally accepted accounting principles. And so even though you could have all the multidimensionality from a traditional external report, typically though the actual profitability is flawed and misleading. Why? Let's just talk it. We'll get it out, get it on the surface. The accountants are allocating indirect expense, which is very sizable, like spreading butter across bread. They're using things like number of labor hours, units produced, sales dollars, you know, and the like. And none of those reflect the unique consumption that the product, service, lines, channels, customers uniquely consume of the end-to-end business processes and the activities that belong to those processes. So when you trace and assign them correctly, you will actually find out that some of those products were over-costed. Others must be under-costed because it's a zero-sum error game. So my, my real point is, and I did write a diagram for IFAC, International Federation of Accountants. It's a taxonomy like in biology, you know, plant kingdoms, animal kingdoms. The three kingdoms of accounting are, you know, external financial reporting, management accounting, and tax reporting. But here's really the point. Um, and I do agree with finding customers are the source of value creation for shareholders, no doubt about it. And But what you've got to basically have is some clarity and reasonable precision. And when you have flawed and misleading information from the traditional external financial reporting, you know, then you're going to be basically making wrong decisions. You know, external reporting, its purpose, valuation. Management accounting, in contrast, creating value through better insights and decisions for shareholders. Very interesting. I think there were fireworks. Finding has asked me if he can comment. Yes, of course you can. Go yes. ahead. What do you have to say? Yes. Uh, yes. No, I very much agree with Gary in a couple of his uh, statements. And what I think is that, you know, management reporting, I'm saying that's one dimensional because we often look at profitability in one dimension. And I don't mean the segments that we look at, like, sales channel, customer, controlling area, product. What I mean with it is that it's stuck at some level of the PNL, which do not take into account all of the expenses, nor on the tax side, but nor on the OPEX side. My point of raising the question on multidimensionality in the profitability analysis and integrated profitability analysis, as we call it, is that you can flip between a gross profit, contribution margin one, contribution margin two, operating profit, but you can also look at profit after, say, emissions. If you have a hugely carbon-driven business, you will have emissions. Let me take an example. I have a client. It's a large postal services client. They're doing what Gary is saying, uh, activity-based costing. We're overlaying that whole thing with a profitability view. Again, managerial accounting, managerial profitability, driving it down to contribution margins. But guess what? When they are sending parcels, just a letter across, they would use train, air, they would use express, they would use lorries. When they are sending these parcels, the managerial accounting does not take into account, for example, the emission taxes and the profit taxes that comes on emissions. So if they calculate that sending a box 
has a profitability of 10% in contribution margin one. Hey, that might be for um, statutory purposes or operating purposes, only 5%. But again, if you look at the emissions due to the channel selection and the transportation means after emission taxes, then you might even be loss making. And isn't this really what this is about? Making decisions based on steering information up and down the uh, PNL based on the strategy and operating model in a way that you're allowed to preserve and optimize the shareholder value. Because if we're not optimizing the shareholder value, then I'm not sure why we're discussing profitability analysis. Because again, that's what we're trying to maintain and improve. But the question is, which level of insights around do we have to look at profitability? And this was partly where I was going initially that I think there is such an enormous degree of complexity in setting up a performance system. You have your operating model, you have your P&Ls, that's all clear, but what are you gonna measure? And how are you gonna look at those measurements to achieve what you really want to achieve and incentivize people of continuing to do that? All in the name of optimizing shareholder value. Gary, you wanna come back at that? And I know Michelle has something to say, but Gary, since this was your point, what do you think? No, I, no, I agree. And we, basically, you're beginning to introduce the whole area about key performance indicators, um, you know, metrics and measures to align the behavior and priorities of managers with the strategy of the executives. So we're really talking about strategy execution, strategy management. And that may be another topic. So I know we only have like, maybe 20 minutes to go. Let's hear what some of the other observations are. Michelle, I want you to chime in here. I see you're ready to go. Go ahead, Michelle. Ah well, in fact, uh, I also like um, at at the start. I also probably partially misinterpreted the single dimensionality. Actually, uh, when Sveinung, uh, let's say, um, came back uh, with his uh, further clarification, I can only nod and say, well, this is absolutely, uh, let's say, crucial for organizations. And and honestly, I think, um, and I don't want to let's say uh, sound shocking, but uh, I've met at least uh, quite a few finance people that are let's say more accountants um, and don't necessarily all see um, the fact that they're running into trouble because they're looking at this from a wrong perspective or an incomplete perspective. Interesting. I would say, Svenning, this was quite an interesting topic around the table. I haven't seen that much passion in a long time. So thank you. We want to spark a good conversation, agreeing and disagreeing. Thank you. Everybody good with that one? Thumbs up? Yes, I'm going to move on. Uh, Gary, you're right. We have about 17 minutes left, and I want to cover a, a statement here in Michelle's list of statements he sent me that it's it's outrageous, it's fun, it's interesting, and we have to get this one on the table. So Michelle told me before the show, here's statement number one. He says, in the past, he mentioned in an interview with a business magazine that it would not hurt for CFOs to be somewhat more rock and roll, in quotes, instead of delivering figures proactively think of alternatives. And he says in these challenging times, currently he'd put it even stronger. It's a necessity. Michelle, please clarify how rock and roll do we need our CFOs to be? This should shake up a few people, shake, rattle and roll. <laughs> Very. Shake, rattle and roll, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, like whatever form. Um, 
Actually, yeah, it, it, it's something actually which I accidentally threw out in an, inter in an interview, I think about two years ago. And uh, let's see, the business magazine made it actually the, 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 the header of the, <laughs> of the article they produced out of it. So which, like, honestly, I hadn't noticed that I had mentioned this. But what I really mean is indeed, like, say, let's say, let's get out of, let's say, the normal finance shoes uh, and really think out of the box, um, especially in these crazy times, to add another, let's say, little experiment that I pulled off uh, uh, when we were still all allowed to be in bigger conferences altogether physically. Mm -hmm. Actually, I asked um, about 80 or 90 controllers um, in, a, in a controller, well, community, um, so an FP&A community, uh, who of them basically had an RSS feed on, let's say, what was happening in their particular industry of their company. And actually, there was one person that raised uh, her hand, actually, um, which I found pretty shocking, because if, if, let's say, as a finance professional, you don't know and I'm not literally just looking at the CFO, but also, let's say, the, the group controller and, and let's say, wh whoever, or in fact, whoever in, a, in an organization. And especially from a finance perspective, if you don't know what's happening in your, let's say, type of business, um, you don't know what's happening around you, you don't understand what actually your business is all about, then I think you're in deep trouble. Like, in fact, the first thing that I ever did when I was appointed CFO in this Port Logistics company, I, I basically went up to the, to the owner of the company and said, you know, tomorrow, I want to basically meet the guys uh, in the warehouses. I want to just walk around with them, just see, understand what they're doing. Um, just as a little illustration on what I mean really with this, let's say you need to understand the business, you need to un understand the underlying operational activities, what is also generating not only your, your revenues, but especially your costs, uh, rather than indeed what, what Gary was saying, well, just throwing around some costs uh, on, a, on a sheet of paper or an Excel sheet or even a system, fine, you, everybody can do that. But that's not what is basically changing the world, especially not, um, let's say, when we're, and I also heard this uh, today earlier on, where, where, and I'm a strong believer in the fact that, let's say, everybody needs to really um, look into the future. That also kind of came out of, um, I think, Sveinon's uh, Walt Disney quote, um, if I remember correctly. We all mm -hmm. need to look ahead. Like, it's very interesting to understand what happened and where my current margin is looking, looking like and where it came from. But basically, that's not something on which I can act. I really need to look ahead. Um, I need to be very flexible. I need to basically drive the business. And actually, there's a lot of, let's say, uh, company owners. Like in my old case, that was exactly the reason why that uh, Port Logistics owner uh, or company owner hired me because he knew I was going to basically pull out my guitar and play a <laughs> rock and roll song in this company. So that's, a, that's a, in short what I really mean um, with this, let's see. And, and of course, behind it is there, there's all of the activities on, let's say, what if scenarios, simulations, looking ahead with all of the, let's say, uh, modern uh, or even modest or enhanced techniques you can apply but you need to open your mind to actually go there. One, two, three, four, one, two, three o'clock, four o'clock rock. We're going to rock around the table and see what everybody thinks. I think you just made history on this show, Michelle. Nobody talks about that stuff. Gary Kokins, should CFOs become more rock and roll-ish guitar or not? I'm a drummer, by the way. Go ahead, Gary. What do you think? The issue is they've got to go 
transform themselves from being counters to being. That's sort of the way I put it. And what we're really now talking about is there's a big difference between historical reporting through the rear view mirror last month, last quarter, and through the windshield, the predictive view. Um, now there's value to historical information, trends and insights, but the real decisions always only are impacting the future. And if you think of a spectrum of, of value creation, at the far left is gonna be that external reporting, valuation, that's really low. Then when you move to using more progressive methods like activity-based costing, which is a whole other story as to why companies fail at that, uh, it's too bad, they over-design the models, you, you get better value. But the value, the highest value is the predictive view. You know, for the what-if scenario analysis that Michelle mentioned, driver-based rolling financial forecasts and the like. And the reason those are important, especially the driver-based rolling financial forecasts, which you refresh the model uh, or the system really quarterly or maybe even monthly, and you go out 24, 36 months, as that leads you to a pro forma income statement, balance sheet and income statement, and you know what the next step is, net cash flow. And that's what board of directors are looking for now with the whole COVID thing. They're like wondering, where the heck are we going to be three, four months now with all this disruption to our business? But here's the problem. Most of the accountants basically do not think like engineers. Because when you do go to the predictive view, was what if alternatives, you have to, it involves what's called capacity management, capacity requirements planning. You have to classify the behavior of the resources as sunk, fixed, step fixed, or variable. And that classification depends on the planning horizon because in the short term, capacity is not easily adjustable. It's all kind of, but as you move out quarters, months, years, you can replace full-time employees with temps. You can lease assets you would have basically purchased. So they become variable. And here's the point. Most accountants don't think like engineers. That, I think I had that my second semester freshman year at Cornell, you know, forecast volume and mix times unit level consumption rates equals capacity required, number of and types of employees and spend with suppliers. That's truly profitability analysis for planning and, and rolling financial forecasts, if you will. Thank you. Swining, let's go around the table to you, rocking around the clock here. You're up. I mean, it's impossible to disagree with Michelle, right? Um, saying that somebody should be more rock and roll is just like music to my ear. Uh, so, so well said, Michelle. No, I think uh, what I'm really, what is really important the way I see it is, is creativity and understanding. And that, you know, the finance professionals can't just sit and look at the numbers and try to understand the numbers by the numbers. That will be disconnect. So they need to understand, A, the operating model and being out on the factory floor, as you said, makes a lot of sense. Just understanding what is going on there. How are certain tasks being being executed? What is really happening? How is our kind of supply chains actually operating? And to, to, to Gary's points, all of those methods, they can be more effectively applied when you understand the operating model and you become creative because you also get forward looking and you do that because into the profitability analysis, you can see certain parts of your business, almost, almost irrespective of the method you use, being more profitable and less profitable. But if you look at the side of the business that is being more profitable, why is that? What do these guys do? Is there anything there that we can borrow and kind of throw into the other side of the business, which is less profitable? I mean, Elon Musk, fantastic, super cool. I mean, look at all of the stuff that he's built. But also, if you look at traditional industry companies, they are also taking on the digital shift. 
And one thing that I find quite interesting is that, you know, the manufacturers of light bulbs, which have manufactured light bulbs for a century now, right? Things that you put in the lamp and it lights up, they are stopping to kind of focus their production on light bulbs. What do they do? They suddenly start to sell software to control the light, to turn it off from a remote location. Mm-hmm. And these type of innovations doesn't only come from the, the factory floor. It also comes from managers in finance that understands the profitability, speaks with people, and kind of makes their opinionated views as to, is this a clever idea? Can we move in this direction? So again, understanding what drives profit also uh, combined with creativity allows to potentially drive better business continuity and into new dimensions. So I like it. More rock and roll. Thank you. Interesting. I don't think we've had a show or I I don't remember. Chris Grundy will remind me soon uh, where we talked about creativity in the same sentence with the title of CFO, right? We, We just don't talk about that. But these are tough times. These are challenging times. And we know businesses need to pivot. They need to be fluid and flexible. Necessity is the mother of of dire innovation today. How do we stay alive? How do we repurpose, right? How do we retool, use the resources we have, broken supply chain or not? What equipment do we have? What people do we have? How can we make a difference and be relevant in the world and stay in business and address shareholder value somehow so that we still have shareholders down the road? Uh, We are technically in the crystal ball predictions round, but Gary, I'm going to start this I'm going to give you a prediction, Gary. Forgive me for this, because your statement number four is in a way a prediction. So I'm going to start you off with this. Uh, Each get, oh, 90 seconds around the table. So Gary said, it is better to be approximately correct than precisely inaccurate. That is, it's better to be roughly right than exactly wrong. Gary, I'm going to let this be your prediction because I like it. I hope you don't mind. If you have a better prediction, go ahead. Gary, 90 seconds, you're up. Please. Well, this is, again, my contrasting external financial reporting for statutory and regulatory reporting and internal management accounting. When you do activity-based costing, which it basically applies to probably 90% of organizations that have repetitive processes, um, you're basically tracing and assigning the resource expenses through the activities. And, you know, you don't have to be precise. You can basically, you know, it's good enough. You get, you know, you get diminishing returns and extra accuracy for the extra level of effort of work. So, you know, build a model. This is one of the things I do. Just do some rapid prototyping, a couple of iterations, two to three weeks. You have a permanent repeatable production system. It's good enough. You know, for external reporting, you get the numbers wrong. You go to jail. For internal management accounting, you get the numbers wrong, you don't go to jail. So, you know, it doesn't have to be so precise. But I want to go to a different prediction just briefly. I'll use my 90 seconds. I think artificial intelligence and robotic process automation is coming faster than anybody realizes. And accounting jobs are vulnerable. Uh, Clerks that do payroll, payables, invoicing, they're going to be replaced by a computer. And I think the accounting profession is not prepared. So look out for that. If you want to see the YouTube video, it's called Need Not Apply. Humans Need Not Apply. It's 15 minutes. I think it's got 10 million views. It will really shock you. Thank you. We like to be shocked once in a while when it's with good stuff. Thank you, Gary Spining Larson. 90 seconds. What do you see coming up or down the pike, up or down the road? Crystal ball time. Go ahead, Spining. 
Yeah, no, well, I, I completely agree with what uh, Gary already said, but I and I also see the machine learning piece coming in, combined with the artificial intelligence to do predictions, to do an, uh, animality detections, and that accounting jobs are indeed um, in, um, in some pressure for being replaced by computers. Uh, I also see that integration of profitability analysis is something that is coming fast, that yes, you will have that statutory reporting, don't go to jail, but you will start to combine that also with um, profitability for managerial purposes, not only single um, single um, instance that you're looking at just by controlling area, by product, by customer, but you would also start to look at profitability across value chains to understand how the profit is being distributed across the world. You would start to look at emissions. I mean, we will have new regulatory framework coming in to kind of look at our uh, emissions and carbon footprints. That has a cost. It has a tax cost to it. It's going to be important for multinationals to report on it. As we all live in a, in a globe that is, you know, seeing the ice levels uh, go down, the seas rising, we're struggling with uh, water. So we will start to see more focus on that. So that multidimensional integrated profitability management supported by artificial intelligence and machine learning, that's my prediction for where we will head in the future. Thank you, Michelle. You're up. 90 seconds. Go. All right. I'm going to, let's say, I'm going to put out one word or basically one statement and uh, or, or like one uh, kind of verb. It's called value chain analysis. That's what I see becoming very, very important. And I kind of between the lines already, let's say, heard it with final uh, statements uh, as well. Really the focus on understanding the, uh, the, the whole value uh, chain, uh, being able to end-to-end -end analyze it from all kinds of different levels and, and all different angles. So the multidimensionality, of, of course, it's already in there today. From a technological perspective, of course, let's say freeing up time uh, from operational processes which are going to be fully automated like for me that's not future anymore i think i'm living that already day by day when talking to let's say our developers and some organizations that are implementing the latest and the greatest of course step by step um, but what's behind really important is let's say the move from um, like in view of our profitability topic uh, from a, a, let's say a standalone CPM approach or EPM approach or whatever performance management approach to a single integrated approach where basically all of the bits and pieces come together and honestly Gary to your point on let's say really differentiating between external reporting and internal reporting where actually that is going to be more and more mixed up uh, in a way we already see that even if let's say if we see uh, CFOs who are noted on the stock exchange, like CFOs of companies noted on the stock exchange, they basically give a preview of what's coming the next three months. Actually, they're not just talking about the external reported figures. They're also, let's say, including uh, let's say, some future-oriented information from their managerial books. So that's basically the evolution I really see going on. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you all. We are literally out of time. I can't remember having this much fun with such a deeply detailed topic. And I think we just rock and rolled through financial excellence with Game Changers. Thank you again to Chris Grundy for putting this together. Let's have a round of applause for Chris Grundy and Birgit Starmans who have kept this series. Come on, guys. You could clap. Absolutely. Okay. I've kept this series going for nine years with me. And, and I say congratulations because I had the faith that the world needs this kind of 
information. Need to hear from really smart people like the three of you. Shout out to Aaron Keller, our engineer extraordinaire at the Business Channel team. And here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. By the way, my car is getting two months to the gallon. How's yours doing? What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Just like Gary Cokins, just like Spunning Larson, and just like Michelle Hasendorf. Bonnie D. Graham signing off. Have a great day. Be smart, be savvy, be safe. And if needed, wear your damn mask. Bye-bye. Everybody wave. Thanks again for tuning in to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP, helping you to operate profitably and adapt continuously. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to hashtag SAPRADIO and join host Bonnie D. Graham on the Business Channel, wishing you a game-changing week.